The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. It is so good to see you. Um, how about that building news? Is that fantastic? Or what? Yeah. In fact, um, we should definitely give it up for anybody on the building vision team, um, the eldership, elders, wives, everybody. Can we give them a round of applause? Man, they have put so much time and care and passion into this whole process of, of discerning God's good future for us as a church, and I, I'm just so excited for that. Um, you know, it's, it's just been a little bit over a year from when we left that Quail 14401 location, and I remember that morning being very emotional. It was a very emotional morning. I remember in Ben's um, sermon before we left, he said, you know, when we walk out these doors, God goes with us. And I believe the very same thing to be true this, this morning and, and when we leave, that when we walk out these doors, that God is going to go with us. And he's going to continue to show us faithfully uh, the future that he has in store for this church. And so uh, I'm really excited for that. And uh, I'm grateful to walk this journey with you all. And uh, we are also continuing our, our journey and winding down our journey in the Ephesians, the Mystery of Us sermon series this morning. And Rick did a great job of reading our text. Um, there's, a, there's a particular verse that I want to quick look at once more uh, before we get going. And that is Ephesians 5 verse 8. If you've got your Bibles. Um, and, and it's here that Paul says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And so here, what we have is kind of a perfect blend, a perfect blend and marriage of the indicative and imperative. Remember, we've been talking about um, the indicatives of the first half of Ephesians, how Paul indicates all these things that God is doing and who God is and who we are in light of God's grace. And then in the second half of Ephesians, we've got these imperatives, these commands. So, hey, if this is the case, then respond like this. Do this. And in Ephesians 5, verse 8, somebody has actually said that this may be the, the best one-verse summary of the entire book of Ephesians, because we've got both right in, the, in one verse. For you were once darkness, but now you are light. Live as children of light. And actually, literally, the Greek walk as children of light. That word live is actually just walk. And so, um, getting back to this, this language of, of walking in a direction, a trajectory, um, is what we're going to do. We're going to lean heavily on the imperative side of things this morning. And, and that language of walking and direction and trajectory um, actually brings me to kind of a, a philosophical, ethical idea that I, I kind of want to um, put in our frame of reference as we continue with this passage. And, and that is something called telos. So this is a, a Greek word, um, telos, that means end or goal or purpose. 
Um, and so, so basically, um, what that means is that uh, we make ethical decisions, moral decisions, um, right and wrong, good, bad, in light of our telos, in light of the end or, or goal or purpose that God has for us um, as children of light. That is how we make ethical decisions. For instance, uh, there's a, a guy named Alastair McIntyre who, who uses this analogy. Imagine that I'm, I'm holding a watch in my hand. And how would we tell whether or not this watch is a good watch or a bad watch? We would base it on, we would judge this watch on whether or not it told time accurately. Uh, because that's what the telos, the purpose, goal, or end of a watch is, is to tell time accurately. Uh, so, so if I say that this is a good watch, I'm making a, a moral statement, a fact about this watch that it tells time accurately. On the other hand, uh, if, if I said it was a bad watch, we would say that it didn't tell time accurately. Now, now, what about this though? What if I took this watch that I was holding and I threw it at a cat and it missed the cat? Would we then judge that this is a bad watch? No, because watches aren't made for hitting cats. You know, a watchmaker doesn't finish a product and say, oh, this is going to be great for some feline hunting. Like, this is <laughs> top-notch right here. No, that, that's not a watch's telos purpose or goal or end. is not to hit cats. It's to tell time accurately. So this morning, when Paul tells us that, hey, you're children of light now, you're going to have to walk as children of light. He's saying that's our, our direction that's our trajectory, our purpose, goal, and end is to be children of light, is to see what that means for a child of light. How does a child of light operate and make ethical decisions in this world? And so I, I want to keep that in the back of your minds as we move forward with our text this morning. And we're going we're gonna to look at three different themes that arise in Ephesians 5, and those are how we can be light with our bodies, how we can be light with our possessions, and how we can be light with our words. So light with our bodies, light with our possessions, and light with our words. Let's begin with our bodies in chapter 5, verse 3. Paul says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. And so we talked a little bit about sexual sin last week. This is a, a topic that Paul needs to address with his churches from time to time in different letters. And, and here again we see Paul saying, you know, there can't be a whiff, a hint or a whiff of sexual immorality among you, you know, because that's improper for God's holy people. That's not the telos of God's holy people. That's not the end goal or purpose of children of light. We are to be light with our bodies. That is the telos, the, the Christian telos. And in fact, you know, the Christian telos of sex is, is quite different from you know, the telos that, that modern culture or secular culture kind of puts forth because the Christian telos for sex has always been in service of marriage and in service of, of human flourishing. Uh, for instance, here's for instance, uh, the Christian ethic of, of a husband and wife in faithful monogamy actually 
vastly improved the social status of women in the ancient world. Um, so our society doesn't generally prize chastity among men or women. Uh, in the ancient world, however, though, it was a very, very overt double standard. Um, in, in, there are double standards in our society today as well. But, but in the ancient world, it was very pronounced that women were, were basically to be very sexually exclusive, uh, only have sex with your husbands, um, this sort of thing, very chaste. Not so much for men. The, the same kind of standards were not there. Men were expected to be sexually aggressive, to, to take sexual license. Um, that, was, that was just part of it. They had, they had multiple outlets for that, um, generally. And so there, there's actually a, a quote from the ancient world, kind of famous, that um, is pretty uh, demonstrative of this double standard. It said, Mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines for the daily care of our persons, but wives to bear us legitimate children and to be faithful guardians of our households. Pretty maddening, huh? Pretty overt. Um, enter Christianity. Enter Christianity into this world uh, that, that greatly boosted the status of women uh, by condemning divorce, incest, fidelity, infidelity, and polygamy. A Christianity that held up the Sermon on the Mount, you know, where Jesus says, forget about adultery. You're not even supposed to be lusting. You know, you're not even supposed to be looking with lust. And so Christians rejected this double standard. They said, no, men and women need to both be held to this high standard together. And amazingly enough, um, Rodney Stark, a sociologist of religion, has argued that this was one of the reasons, this greatly improved status for Christian women, is one of the reasons that Christianity flourished and spread in the ancient world. So this comes back to our telos. Our Christian telos regarding sex is for the flourishing of humanity. It's to strive to, to keep these high standards. It's not to hold women to a different standard than men as in the ancient world or to erase all standards for men and women sort of as in our current world. It's to hold both to a high standard of who we are in Christ. Because Paul says, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And that is our telos, to live as light with our bodies. But sexual sin is just part of it. And there's more to our text this morning. And, and Paul moves into this second kind of theme that we're going to look at. And that is how to be light with our possessions. In verse 3, Paul says, Among us there can be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. And then he, he continues in verse 5, and he says, For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And it's interesting to note, though, I think that there are many churches in America um, that, that look at what the Bible says about sex and ethics and, and believes that that's obsolete, outdated, 
outmoded. And yet these very churches look at what the, the Bible says about greed or, or poverty and social justice and, and takes that very seriously. On the other hand, there are many churches in America that, that look at what the Bible says about sex and takes that very seriously and sort of makes a big deal of trumpeting those convictions. On the other hand, not often saying very much about greed or social justice or poverty. And I think we can see from our text this morning that, that Paul takes both of these things very seriously. That, that the Bible and Christianity takes both of these ideas into account and that a faithful church should do likewise. And so, so we see it's not just light with our bodies. It's light with our possessions as well. That, that Paul wants us to combat these pervasive ways of greed. He wants us to, to walk not in the way of idolatry, but to walk as the people of God, children of light. And I think I've said before that uh, I try to read Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol about every Christmas. And, you know, I read it every year, but it's actually, it becomes fresh again and again to me. Um, and I, I see new things each time. And, and one of those things that I was looking at the other day is this scene where uh, Scrooge is with the, the ghost of Christmas past. And he's looking on this scene of young Ebenezer Scrooge with his uh, betrothed or fiance. And um, basically, it's, uh, it's an interesting scene because there's been this kind of tragic change in the character of Scrooge uh, to where the, the, you can see the relationship is ending. And I just wanted to read a, a couple lines of dialogue from this scene. Uh, his, his fiance says to Scrooge, another idol has displaced me. And if it can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you, he rejoined, a golden one. This is the even-handed dealing of the world, he said. There is nothing on which it is so hard as poverty, and there is nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much, she answered gently. All your other hopes have merged into the hope of being beyond the chance of its sordid reproach. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion gain engrosses you. Do you hear that? Until the master passion gain engrosses you. And I, I think, I, I'm fairly certain that, that Dickens is actually referring here to the Sermon on the Mount. That he's actually taking us back to, to Jesus' famous saying in Matthew 6, 24, where he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You, you cannot serve both God and money. And this is the insidious nature of greed. This is the insidious nature of gain. When we serve gain, when we, you know, we may think that we are freely pursuing our own wealth, but actually in reality, we become slaves to that idol. It's the master passion. And so Paul says, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. 
and that makes sense, right? Because you know, if, if we're going to lay up our treasures on earth, it, it would make sense that we don't have any treasures, any inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. You know, because it's basically a choice between worshiping God or worshiping an idol. Worshiping God or worshiping that master, that golden idol that sparkles and shimmers and then leaves you in the darkness of your own prison, the darkness of, of those insatiable desires for more. It, David Foster Wallace actually says, you know, there are no true atheists today because, you know, we either worship God or we worship something else. The, everybody worships something. You know, we either worship God or we worship ourselves, our sex, our money, our power. And for Christians, it's, it's either God or it's an idol. It's God or it's an idol. And, and as one person has said, idols demand sacrifices. Idols demand sacrifices. And let me tell you, church, greed is one of the most demanding of them all. And that's why Paul calls us to account. Paul calls us to be light with our bodies. He calls us to be light with our possessions. Remember in chapter 4 last week, he said, Hey, thieves, you got to give up stealing. You got to work honestly with your hands so you're going to have something to share with the needy because you can't be enslaved by something that you give away. You can't be enslaved by something that you give away. So Paul says, Come together, church, as one body and share with one another. Be light with your possessions. That is our telos. That, that's our, our goal and purpose as Christians, to be light with our possessions. And so this brings us to the final theme of our passage this morning, the final consideration, and that is, as Christians, how we can be light with our words. Uh, this theme begins in verse 4, uh, where Paul says, Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather, thanksgiving. And then he finishes our passage with, with the following section, verses 15 through 20. He says, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father of everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul encourages us here. He says, church, be light with your words. Be light with your words. And here's what I think that means for us this morning. Here, here's, here's what I'm taking away from this text, is that Christian speech is not gratuitous, but grateful. Christian speech is not gratuitous, but grateful, because gratuitous speech is uncalled for. It's lacking reason. It's, it's totally unwarranted. It doesn't build up. It doesn't give grace. It doesn't point us towards God's telos. But Paul doesn't just leave it at that. He doesn't say, hey, this is not how you're supposed to talk. He says, this is how you're supposed to talk, with thanksgiving. 
He says, rather, thanksgiving in verse 4. And then in verse 20, he says, give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Proper Christian speech isn't gratuitous. It's grateful. And actually, that, that Greek word for thanksgiving, for giving thanks, um, is eucharistia. And that's the same word from, from which we get eucharist. And many, uh, I know the Church of Christ, we typically refer to communion as the Lord's table or the Lord's supper, um, but many Christian traditions still call it Eucharist. They call it Thanksgiving, uh, because Paul connects us to that idea in actually 1 Corinthians 11. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Gratitude is the language of Christian telos. When, when we gather around these tables in thanksgiving, in fellowship, in sharing, we speak to one another words that build up the body together in all of its disparate parts, and we do that through thanksgiving. That is how Christian speech goes. That's where we learn to be light with our words, in worship at the table. And in fact, it's amazing the way that Paul describes worship in this chapter. In chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, he says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So do you notice that? To one another, to the Lord. Uh, that in worship, built into Christian worship, is both a horizontal and a vertical dimension. Uh, that when we begin to vertically praise God, to offer thanksgiving to Him, we are also in offering encouragement, offering grace to everybody around us. That's Christian speech. That's, that's where we learn how to be light with our words. It starts here in worship. And then it carries beyond these walls as we proclaim that. As we, as we gather to, to worship the triune God in, in His unity, we become united in that worship. And in fact, I, I just want to close this morning by, by pointing out that you know these three movements in our text, light with our bodies, light with our possessions, light with our words. They all begin in worship. They all begin in worship. Light with our bodies, baptism. Light with our possessions, the table. Light with our words, song. Bodies, possessions, words, baptism, table, songs. That's where it all begins, church. 
That's where we encourage each other, we offer thanksgiving and renew ourselves to head out into the world and proclaim that good news that has changed us, that has brought us from darkness to light. And so Paul says, live like that. He says, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's stand and proclaim that together this morning, church, and worship.